Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion. I'm your host, ADV. Thank you guys for joining me. This is the finality of the video video games, where this year I talked about handheld, PC, and some mobile, and arcade. And joining me to give this eulogy to, to, for the send-off, he is the former host of One More Castle. Um, he has his own website, Eric M. Hunter. Um, also, he has his various podcasts, Indie Game Review. He's a twi- uh, Twitch streamer. Everybody, please, stand in ovation. Stand up to your feet and give this man a welcome, welcome, welcome to Optional Opinion, Mr. Eric M. Hunter. Hi. Jeez. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for coming. I've been watching you guys on One More Castle like for like kind of like almost about two years. Uh, you guys should have those three debates. Um, if anyone didn't know, some I sent them some questions. I'm the one that sent him the Zombie U strategy guide for Wii U. So, uh, which I still have actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I've uh, I gotten into the uh, the habit of collecting those now. So like it's boarded and it's got a bag and everything. So. Got to send you some more whenever we uh go to three cent. <laughs> and get yeah, man, thanks for that. It actually worked out really well. Oh, you're welcome. Um, if you guys don't know one more castle, I think you might have some old podcasts up. I think. Or so the, the whole site is still up and running. It's just obviously not being updated anymore. But all of those podcasts, uh, every single bit, every single bit of. And any kind of um, like article that was written or video that was posted is still there for everybody to check out. Uh, so all of that is it's a great little just like step into uh, a world of people who just appreciate and love retro gaming and old video games. And it's uh, it's a beautiful roadmap of just people's passions for that. So it's very cool. If you haven't checked it out, it's highly recommended. Yes, yes. Uh, but before we go, oh, um, Eric, can you tell us some of your gaming background so people get to know who you are? Absolutely. Jeez, uh, so my gaming background goes uh, probably back to like I was about four years old. Uh, my mom, for whatever reason, bought me and my older brother a uh, an old school NES. Well, it's old school now, but it was new then. So uh, an old NES uh, system with a couple of games. And we had like this weird kind of makeshift back room with this like green shag carpet and we had an old tv back there and we plugged it in and me and my brother probably sat in front of that tv for like four or five hours that first day just trying to run through super mario brothers and we had uh ninja gaiden was another game and legend of zelda so since then i still have this vague memory and i've done a lot i've done a lot of research about like memories and how our brains work so this memory is probably complete bogus and doesn't actually exist but i want it to because it just makes my heart light um but i remember sitting there playing super mario brothers thinking i want to do this one a day one day i want to make a game like this one day and uh since then we've i've basically been a collector um we went from the NES to the Super NES to the Sega Genesis to the N64 to the PlayStation uh, to the 360 to the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3. Um, I've gotten to the point now where I've got something of upwards of over a thousand actual cartridges and CDs over across to 15 different consoles. Um, it's an addiction and it's a disease and it's swallowing me whole. I think I might, uh, I, I think I might outbeat you for consoles. Uh, do you really? That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I had the NES. My brother had the Sega master system. 
Um, I had the Super Nintendo. He had the Sega Genesis. I had the TurboGrafx-16. Uh, we both got a Dreamcast. Wow. <laughs> we both got a Dreamcast. I did the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, GameCube, Wii, N64, um, the Wii U, uh, Xbox, and I skipped the 360, but I did Xbox One X. So oh, I, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm a nerd. I, I can't help it. Hey, man, you're in good company, right? <laughs> yeah. I just, so. I, I really wish I did the Sega CD. <clears throat> because they had a copy of Snatcher at my KB Toy Store for nineteen ninety nine. Yep, <laughs> and I remember I, seeing that. I I chose Robber Half over the Super Nintendo over over that because I didn't have to take a CD. It did not. Sure, I want to play Snatcher now. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. It's funny looking back on those days because like I still have the original NES that my mom bought me when I was four. Like I still have the original Super NES. Like I have other versions now. Uh-huh. You know, like I have the. The, the Super NES 2 or whatever it is, and that's my primary uh, console that I use it for. But, like, I my original Super NES still has that discolored uh, yellow bottom yes. that a lot of those consoles got. And I'm proud of that, you know? Like, I have it up on my shelf. And, you know, people ask about it, and they're like, why do you have so many of one kind? I'm like, well, some of these don't work, you know? like, And other ones are just, you know, there's that sentimental value to it. So it's like, I can't. It's too hard for me to get rid of because it's like this was the legit launch console that I put easily thousands of hours into yes. or Turtles in Time yes. or Batman Batman yeah. Returns and all that stuff. I mean, that that those games are still those games. I still have those games, you know, like it's it's become such a huge part of my life that it's helped me actually shape who I am today and like my dreams and aspirations all stem from something that I've learned from a previous game or uh, a storyline that um, I've uh, kind of taken as my own because I didn't know what the name of the character was. So obviously I named him Eric and then that ended up being my storyline. And I still today feel like there's parts of me that are still striving to, 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 you know, to collect those Triforce pieces and to get that master sword to protect the princess, you know? So yeah. <coughs> Sorry everybody. I, like I said I lost my voice. Um the link to the past was a throwback. I still love the dungeon of taking the princess to the light and she becomes the boss monster. That yep. that took me by surprise in high school. I'm like, what in the world? Okay, Nintendo, you just up the ante. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> Those games were tough to play, uh, especially if you didn't have like a strategy guide or a um, subscription to Nintendo Power. Like you, uh, some of those, some of that, it's people forget that it was a different time, you know, where um, the majority of the sales for a developer or publisher came from rentals. Yeah. So there are games that were created during that time with the sheer idea of that this game is going to be rented every weekend because it is so difficult. And the password system is either broken or is so spread across. Like the one that comes to mind for me is Zombies Ate My Neighbors for this. Yes. That game is so difficult and just outright unfair. And it's like every five or six levels, you finally get a password. Yeah. That game was created in that time because it knew it was going to be like the king rental. For the weekend, like you knew you were going to play it for two week or for two days 
Saturday and Sunday, knowing that you're going to return it on Monday just so you can rent it again on Friday. Like, those yeah. games don't exist anymore, you know? Exactly. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Zombie Ate My Neighbors. Me and my friend, uh, we we literally has just been talking about it. Um, I wrote about it on Skirmish Frogs, how <clears throat> me and my uh, best friend, we were renting from Blockbuster and playing every weekend and getting all those passwords. And, dude, we tried our best. But those worms coming out the ground, ain't no way you was going to beat them with that little water gun. <laughs> yeah, the worms. Oh, man. Those worms were the worst, weren't they? Yes, they were. Uh, so, that's, so bad. So uh, thank you for a little bit of your history. Um, we're going to get into uh, this show, and we're going to start out with handhelds. Uh, people, if you read the blogs, you can read them on IGN.com under anime, E-N-I-M-E. That's where optional opinion blogs are at for this project. Uh, me and my special guest, Corey Derrick, we talked about handhelds. Uh, you know, we started out talking about Tiger Electronics. We ended up talking about Nintendo's dominance over it. Uh, some of the failures of the handheld system, like we were talking about the Engage, dude. Yes, we went that, we went that far back. And then awesome. We said, yeah, then we touched on the future of handhelds and kind of talked about Nintendo Switch. Uh, but Hunter, uh, what do you got? What do you think of the handheld space? Like, how do you feel about it? And what do you see uh, the beauty of it? So uh, my handheld is uh, my my whole history is based in Nintendo. Uh, growing up as a kid, so when that Game Boy came out, I was all over it. Those awful headphones that you pop into your ears that were just this nasty hard plastic. You couldn't hear yeah. anything out of it. Uh, me and my brother would. Um, we would use the link cable to play Tetris back and forth. And it was the first time that I got to play as Luigi uh, and a handheld game, because if you played a two player with a link cable, with the game boy Tetris, it was mo- actually uh, the characters, Mario and Luigi are actually in the game. They represent both players. Nice. Um, but I was, I, I don't, you see these gifts online all the time where it, it's the kid playing game boy in the car, but he could only play it for every street light that passes by. When he's on the highway, if you've seen that one, that was me. Like that was me sitting in the back seat, like trying to collect those coins in uh, Super Mario Land Two, like going through, like and then stopping and then going playing it really quick and yeah. then stopping it. You know, like for whatever reason, I still have this mental image of my dad yelling at me uh, for having the like the the car light on, like the inside uh, dome light. Yeah, something yeah. to do with. He always complained that it's something to do, like it hurt his. It, impeded his vision when he was looking at the road with the dome light on Wait, what? so okay so that's what he would say so he would turn it on from like 10 seconds and you're like all right i can't see the road i'm turning it off i'm 31 years old that when i turn that dome light on i see just fine so i don't know what my dad was talking about that's some bs right there is what it was um it who knows um but yeah so like the handheld had a big uh, part in my life we didn't do a lot of traveling when i was a kid uh with my family but any chance i got to bring my game boy with me mm-hmm. um was a, you know a positive rather if we're going to like the dentist or like the hospital for uh you know just regular checkups or just grocery store like my my mom was more than happy to take me somewhere as long as i was bringing my game boy because that meant like i wasn't gonna cry i wasn't gonna talk i wasn't gonna grab anything like i'm just gonna play games you know right uh, and I kept with that, like so when the uh, when the Sega Dream or the Game Gear came out, 
Uh, I wanted it because I was like, oh, this is this is the future. There's colored uh, screen and the cartridges are bigger. And, oh, it comes with a TV tuner. So I can actually watch regular TV on this thing now, which I totally did when I was supposed to be in bed sleeping. I was like under the covers watching uh, Married with Children is the only show I can think of at the Dang. moment. <laughs> I used to watch. Um, but as, you know, as time went on, you know, with the, the Game Boy Pockets and the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance and the Game Boy SP. And when the dream, I remember when the DS came out, I traded in my Game Boy Advance, like the, the original Indigo, because yeah. GameStop or Funko Land or somebody was having some sort of deal where if you traded it in, you get X amount of dollars off of us. Uh, and I got that old, the, the like the first initial gray clamshell. Um, yeah, like I couldn't imagine having it now, but um, I traded my Game Boy Advance to get that and really enjoyed playing that. Uh, Nintendogs and um, I can't remember, Life something. It was this weird, oh, nuts. What was the name of the game? Was it? Uh, uh, you, it was a cat. No, not uh, was it was it by Konami? I think so. Yeah, I've actually got it on my shelf, but it's a uh, you played like this girl who was on this island, yeah. and out like the 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 quests and stuff. So I could I remember really enjoying the game a- as a kid. So when I got older and I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna start rebuilding my collection again and getting all those old games back. I was like, oh, I, w- I want to get this game. But I can't remember what it's called. Then I remember randomly coming across the, a particular game thinking like, oh, this looks interesting. I'll buy this. And it ended up being that game. And I was like, mind blown. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And I played it for 20 minutes. I was like, oh, this game is no good. Like, this game is just bad. Like, <laughs> terrible. And, like, the dialogue's all off. And I'm like, oh, man, like, childhood memories crushed. Yay. Wow. Um, But, I mean, you know, so... um. Always had admirations of owning a Sega Nomad, but I never got around to it. So I thought it would be so cool to have a um, a portable Sega Genesis. But um, my life is so steeped into like Nintendo that whole Nintendo versus Sega uh, '90s fight that I feel I still have like some of that tude when somebody starts talking uh, smack about Sonic. I'm like, wait a second, blast processing. You may not know about that, but blast <laughs> processing. I don't know what it means. But they advertised the hell out of it. Can I tell you, I, I think Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 are the best games. Like, I love, I still love the Sonic uh, uh, Sonic series. But 2 is like, I think it's like kind of the best out of all of them. The music is phenomenal. The platforming, the level design. Like, Kim Zone is like still cool. And uh, I think there was, wasn't there like a pinball land kind of? Yeah, the casino, casino something. or something. Yep. And I just remember sitting for almost three hours playing the whole game straight, getting all the chaos emeralds, and just enjoying everything. Even when my me and my brother played, we did the split screen when it looked like it was all smushed together. Oh yeah, like yep. I, like I have love for Sonic, and I have a, a deep love for Sega. Hey, they're the only ones that got Streets of Rage too. No one else has it, and that is my. That is like one of my favorite games of all time. Like, oh, hands down. Like, if I had to battle like with you and the uh and other Eric Eric Beatty and Jason from One More Castle, when you guys had your three way battle, if it was gonna be a fight, if one of y'all said Secret of Mana versus Streets of Rage two, I would have been like, okay, who do I give it to? Because that is the ultimate fight for me. Mega Man two versus Mega Man three. 
I don't care about that that discussion. Right. Stephen Amanda versus Streets of Rage Two. It's like, do I go with the like orchestrated clear crystal music of Secret Amanda with this phenomenal gameplay, or do I go to the dance beat 'em up of Streets of Rage Two? And who do I go with? And I I now have come to realize that Secret Amanda over Streets of Rage Two. But when it comes to Sega, Streets of Rage Two and I think Sonic Two are the best like best games on that system ever uh absolutely i mean it's it's amazing to uh the, just to see the the polar opposites of opinions and stuff like that because somebody like me who grew up in that era that played sonic and sonic 2 and streets of rage 2 like when they were released yeah. rather than somebody who's now just going back and playing those games it's like oh these games are no good and uh the platforming in sonic is really bad and there's it's like i mean is it probably but back then it was like we were just playing games to have fun because it was still like a new idea like yeah. uh, a lot of us at least um, maybe it was i mean i grew up on a not terribly poor but definitely you know on the the inside of things and it was like when we got something like that like we we blew it out to the nth degree like we we made sure that we got every single bit of that game that we possibly could have gotten yes. out of it because because we didn't know when the next one was coming. So like when people, when I hear people complain about like how bad Sonic is, uh, even like Sonic adventure for the dreamcast. And I was like, I mean, is it a great game? No, but I definitely sat and was halfway entertained for six hours. So I think it was worth my time, you know, like it was the first time putting Sonic into 3d. Sega didn't know how to do that. You know, right. Yeah, Nintendo had Super Mario 64, but it was just like Sega wasn't into 3D gaming. Like, if they did put Sonic out, it would have to be on Sega Saturn. Well, who really had a Sega Saturn? Like, if you right. didn't have that uh, the little cartridge that you put in the back of your Sega Saturn to play 2D import fighting games, you wasn't getting nothing out of it. Like, Knights? Really? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, the games weren't there to be to play it. And Sega pretty much like pooped on the whole Saturn debacle. Like they pushed up the release date, which upset the 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 toy um, stores that were because there were no gaming stores at that time, yeah. which, again, something else people forget. Like, I still remember going into Toys R Us and buying games and not knowing because there was no EB games. There was no games stop. There was no Funko Land. Like, none of that stuff existed. Like we I were. Thought, uh, no. Because software, etc., was out. I don't know what that is. Oh, and my local mobile software, etc., was like our first kind of GameStop. That was like dead. Oh, wow. Okay. They were on. They were the only ones selling the Neo Geo and Three Duo and Jaguar. No other place was buying. You could sell. Man, it. that's luck right there. Unless I missed something at Montgomery Wards, which oh my goodness, I can't believe I bought my Resident Evil. Uh, at Montgomery Wars. That was my first M-rated game that I personally bought by myself. Oh, really? Man, I still remember, I still remember buying games from Sears when Sears oh, had yeah. the electronics department. I, I bought Pokemon Blue for the Game Boy from Sears. Really? Oh, yeah. It was the weirdest thing. Like We were there looking for clothes and I realized they had like a whole electronic video game selection and I was like, mm, I'm come over here and check this out. <laughs> and it was like these weird... Um, uh, I mean, they were super tall. They were probably like six feet tall 
of like these plastic, I don't even know how to, I don't even know what they're called, but they were like, they were the, there was these plastic, um, they kind of were like, um, like window panes that would shift back yeah. and forth and it had the cartridges in them. And I was just like, uh, that one. So yeah, it was so, it was so odd the cause you could find video games. It's just the strangest places, you know, like w- with the arcade, um, and growing up in like in the, in this nineties, mid to late nineties era, like the arcades were on the downwind. So like people were like dedicated arcades were few and far between, but you could go to the local like pizza hut and play yeah. double dragon or play the Simpsons arcade game, which you never would have thought you'd be able to do that because, Oh, I'm not an ar- at an arcade. Like why are these arcade games here? Like I didn't think you could have arcades outside of an arcade. Yeah, yeah. see, with arcades, I had Aladdin's Castle, where the tokens was like an octagon, and they had like a genie lamp. But Nelco, all you, but Nelco also had an arcade, uh, their own arcade. But I never knew what it was named because, uh, in the middle they would have Mortal Kombat, and then on the side like Super Street Fighter, and right? Then all, and all in the back was like all the Neo Geo games. It was just like this is weird. Yeah, I mean, I looking back on that stuff now, like I took all of that for granted, you know, like because to me it was uh, all of that stuff, especially when it came to video games, like it was so accessible at that point. And my mom was just like, oh, I can shut you up for a month if I spend $50. Well, absolutely. Let's spend $50 and then I'm shut up for a month, you know, like it was such a strange um, form of parenting. Not, I mean, my parents were great. I don't want to want to come off like my parents are terrible or anything. They were just giving me money to shut up. But <laughs> Like being able to say, "Hey, mom, can we go to the ar- the local arcade for a couple hours?" Was like, "Oh, yeah," because it's you know a mile down the road. Of course, we can go down there. I'll just bring my book and I'll read my book outside like that. My mom used to do that all the time. She was whatever the popular um, Daniel Steele romance novel at the time. She would be reading it outside the arcade because it was too loud, and she would just let me and my brother just go run rampant with a bunch of quarters and just say, "Hey, whenever you're done, just come back and see me." You know, like the the power of the dollar. See, we're not even into our cash yet. We're gonna have to save that for later on today. It's getting crazy already. Because the power of a dollar, dude, that dollar would last you for hours. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it that our, let's let's get back into handheld because we about handheld, to yeah. <clears throat> so, um, still, uh, so handhelds, um, kind of took a dip out just because uh, I kind of ran into that thing where my hands got too big. And the handhelds got too small, right? Um, so anytime, like, they're like, oh, it's on the 3DS or it's on the Game Boy Advance. It's like, man, I wish I could just, I want to play this on my TV. So, well, uh, like, the, when the Game Boy Player came out for the GameCube, like, that was a yes. godsend to me. It was like, oh, my gosh, I can play all these games that I've been wanting to play on my TV. So excited. And uh, I don't, I mean. Did you get the Game Boy, uh, the Super Game Boy on the Super NES? I had the Super Game Boy uh, for the uh, the Super NES. Uh, got really big. Had like a, a weird uh, sort of artist period where I was like, I'm going to cover these backgrounds and these and these border, borders yes. and beautiful colors and pictures. Not too sure why. And they didn't look any good. But um, I, I always enjoyed um the the Super Game Boy had a if you waited at a certain ba- border that was built into the game at the time it would start to uh, interact. Mm-hmm. So the one that comes to mind is one of the borders uh, makes it look like you're in a movie theater and there's actual audience up front sitting in seats and stuff. And if you let the game idle for 
I don't know how long it is now. It's probably like 15 or 20 minutes or it was a, an extortion amount of time. Um, they would start to animate and they would start talking to each other and the lights yes. would come up and they're like, what's going on here? Well, there was a code that you could type in with the, the L and R, uh, shorter buttons. If you, if you did it in a certain pattern, it would just automatically animate that border. And I remember like having friends over and just like typing it in really quick. And then people were like, Whoa, what's going on? Like, there's no, nobody's doing anything and the lights up and everybody's like, Oh, Hey, that's weird. I've never seen the border actually move and stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah. I know, I, I know the codes, you know. Um, but yeah, so like when the 3DS came out, like um, I refused to buy one because I was like, you know, the whole 3D thing I know is a fad. It's not going to last. It's just a battery killer. There's really no game coming out that I want to play. Like the Mario game looks cool, but you know, I'm you know I'm playing my GameCube. I'm playing my Wii. I'm having. I'm fine. I'm fine where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and then a Link Between Worlds came out, and then they released. Yeah. A they released a Link Between Worlds edition 3DS, and I was like, okay, I'm going to pre-order this, and I'm going to go pick it up from Best Buy, and this is mine, and I'm never going to do away with it. And you've got one, see, man, like that's what I'm saying. Like that, that's the only reason I bought that 3DS was because it was I've never had like a console that was like branded by something. You know what I mean? Like I never. And this is the funny about this one for me. Black Friday, they uh at Target, it was on sale for one hundred and twenty nine dollars. Didn't wow. nobody want it, and so I went. In, yes, so I went in. I, I checked it, and the guy checked it. He was just like, "Yeah, this is one hundred twenty nine. I was like, "Let me get Weep. that." Is that right? Weep. Yeah, it's still coming up one twenty nine. Weep. Literally put my credit card in, took the bag, and skipped out of Target. Everybody started calling everywhere for it because nobody couldn't find it, and that was the only wow. one in, like in my whole area that had it. And yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean that's um, a lot of that stuff. I, I that happened once with um, I can't remember what it was now, but it was something that wasn't that hadn't been released yet. But the Walmart near me had it out uh-huh. like on the shelf. I was like, oh, go online. Like this isn't out yet, is it? No, it's not out yet. Um, take it up to the the cash register. I'm like, yeah, I want to get this. I'm like, all right. So they scan it. It's not scanning correctly. Manager comes over, like, oh, we don't know what's going on with this. Like, it's not scanning. How much is it priced for? It's like, yeah, it's sixty bucks. I mean, I don't know. They're like, all right, we'll just do miscellaneous product. Blah blah blah, sixty dollars. And I was like, what? I don't even remember what it was, but it was a game that wasn't supposed to be out for like two or three more days. And I got the. I don't. I, I wish I remember what it was because it was like I was so happy. Like I took pictures of it. And I was like, I'm going to post this online. And then I was like, oh, if I do this, then I'm probably going to get in trouble or somebody's going to get in trouble because they did something they weren't supposed to do. So I was like, oh, I'll just keep it on the down low. Like I won't tell anybody about it. And then I, that's probably why I don't remember it because I didn't document it. <laughs> um, the, the street, the breaking the street day thing. Um, I knew that happened with Street Fighter 4. Um, oh, yeah. But, I remember reading about that. But I I didn't know what stores was breaking. I'm like, huh? Yeah, it's they always claim that it's like these old this these tiny little mom and pop shops that are that break these street dates. I'm like, no, it's not. It's GameStop. It's Walmart. Like it's yeah. Target. It's it's people who work for minimum wage who don't know any different. And they're just like, oh, is this supposed to go out on the shelf? Like, all right, let's put it on the shelf. Like, and- you know, I don't they don't do it to, to hurt somebody or to hurt the company. Like, I think it's just because. Like they just don't know, and like the manager happens to be on a smoke break or something. So who knows? 
And it's weird because I'm like, as the as the developer or publisher, how about y'all put the street dates on the box? Just don't send the box with a game on it. Because yep. that, that always happens at my job. Be like, when the heck did this come out? And we put it out, and because there are no street dates, some people don't know about it. Then they bring it up, and it'd be like, oh, this this thing is state locked. Well, we got to sell it to them because they didn't put no, 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 no stuff. And sometimes we have to take a whole bunch of stuff down. Oh, like, wow. Oh, that's just that's just bad business on the part of the developer. I mean, how hard is it just to write? You know, don't open till Christmas. <laughs> right. We do it every year, you know. So. But yeah. Um, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just, so I kind of uh, stepped out of handhelds, um, and it wasn't actually until my son was born that I realized that there are things on TV that just calm him down. So I was like, okay, these things that calm him down sometimes we just need to watch and put those on TV. Then I realized I'm not able to play games because we have to watch Moana or we have to watch Toy Story for the 50th time today because that's what he wants to watch. And then I realized, man, this would be great if I could have a handheld right now. So like my love for the 3DS and my Switch like just came roaring back because it's like, oh, yeah, buddy, you can put on whatever you want. Do, do, do. Just going to play this right here. So, like, I was able to play uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for my Wii U strictly from my Wii U gamepad only because I had that extra screen so that he could watch whatever the hell he wanted to watch and I could play my game, you know, without any interruption. So my love for handheld gaming is back now. So now I'm at that point where it's like anytime I go into a game shop just to look around – I'm immediately glued to the handheld section, looking at old Game Boy games and Game Boy Advance games and color games and looking at DS games. And I was like, oh, man, like I can start getting greedy again. I can start (laughs) building my collection up because I can't really play anything else unless if it's midnight, you know, and everybody's asleep and I'm sitting in my basement dungeon, like, you know, playing Steam games because I've at, at part it's. One of those things where it's like, oh, well, it's a game, so I can push it to the back, you know, back burner and just push it off. And because I'm a family man now, so I got to be the dad, I got to be taking care of my family and blah, right. blah, 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 blah. Where in reality, it's like, hey, do you mind watching them for an hour? I'm just going to head downstairs really quick and do a thing and then I'll be right back up, you know. But, uh, you know, still a new dad, so I'm still <laughs> like testing the waters with the wife, like, hey, do you mind if I, I mean, I get, I realized I got Street Fighter 2 Turbo for the Super DS. I want to see what that M. Bison uh, uh, storyline is. So I'll, I'll be back in an hour, you know? So, uh, <clears throat> Well, let me ask you about uh, your thoughts about, like, PS uh, Plus, and, or not PS Plus, um, PlayStation Portable and the Vita. Why do you think those systems kind of fail? Um Oh man! Um, I, I know for for me it was definitely the memory card, and they didn't put enough in stores. Like, I, like yeah. at my job, we got one shipment of Vitas and nothing else. Yeah, I. So I think there's a lot of reasons, which is you know the dumb answer, right? Um, there's a lot of reasons. I think the biggest reason is Sony. I think Sony released the product, both the PSP and the Vita, thinking that. If people want it, they'll buy it. It'll either be a success or a failure, mm-hmm. but it's all up to the people. The problem is, is that us as a society do not work that way. We work 
unfortunately, based on advertising and we work on marketing and referrals and friend recommendations. And I feel like the fact that they even released the Vita, which was kind of weird because the PSP, from my understanding, like flopped big time. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they were like, oh, no, we want to create this experience where you can play a game on your PlayStation 3 or 4. And then you can uh, cross play it on the PS Vita. And it's like, wow, that's a great idea. But the problem is, is that's all it does. So it's like, it's just an extension of this console that a lot of people aren't going to spend extra money to buy because unfortunately the games that you want to play are on Nintendo platforms. You know, like people are playing Mario and Luigi's uh, RPG superstar or whatever the last one was, the paper Mario, yeah, paper Mario paper whatever Mario. it's called. Yeah. Um, or the big one, which people um, seem to forget because the handheld market is actually uh, for all intents and purposes being fueled by Japan and uh, the Korean markets is like monster hunter. Like there's, there's nothing there on the PlayStation Vita that can even rival those titles. And it's like, if you're not even going to try, then why do you pump money into this? So I think a lot of it comes down to like marketing. I feel like, unfortunately, Sony didn't see it as a viable horse to bet their money on. And they were just like, oh, let's do this thing because people claim that they want to play games on mobile well, we can be mobile, can't we? Oh, we can't. And it's just this weird hodgepodge uh, of business tactics. And unfortunately, usually what happens with things like that is 20, 15 years or 15, 20 years from now, the PlayStation uh, Portable and the, the PlayStation Vita are going to be like $600 if you can buy it in a box because it's so rare. And it's like, oh, it's got all these gems now. And uh, everybody's getting into it now because this is the thing to buy. And it's like, no, this thing is trash. And it's always been trash and it will always be trash. But because collectors think these things are cool, then now the price of it's going to go up. And then, you know, 10 years from now, people are going to be doing YouTube videos or whatever the video distribution site is at the time saying like, oh, here's 10 gems on the PlayStation Vita that you've never heard of. And it's like, man, like it's come on. Like if you were there, you would know. You're right, just, and, yeah. and you probably have those gems because people are using the Vita still as the indie machine. And right, um, the uh, me and Corey was talking about the PSP Go when it was an all digital platform. Well, not all the games that came out was digital, so it was just yep. like, what the heck are they doing? Like, they, it just feels like Sony put out like seven games, no one brought it, and that was it. Right. I mean, and it shows like I mean, it's there's a reason why Microsoft hasn't got into the handheld market because they're not dumb. They understand that Nintendo has this as a stranglehold. And unless that they have some golden cow to release, I mean, what are you really going for? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you're just trying to drag people f- from the Nintendo 3DS market to whatever your handheld market is like, that's not the way to look at that. Like you have to create a brand new platform and a brand new experience that Nintendo either cannot do or can, can't do at the time. If you're not going to take the time to do that R and D, then don't even waste your money. Well, 
it was the time where Sony and Microsoft were trying to copy Nintendo. And I still think to this very day, they always try to copy Nintendo. Like, Nintendo yeah. doesn't try to do what Sony and Microsoft does. Because guess what? Whatever they're doing is very limited. You have to have some, right. you have to have a certain kind of game for certain companies to, in order to enjoy those systems. With Nintendo, hey, we offer this kind of fun. You could play our first party or whatever the weird third party that they're bringing. You could play that. You'll get this experience on our system than you will on any other system. Yep. That's exactly right. I mean, Nintendo is all about IPs, which is why they're so. Anytime that there's some sort of like hack or remaster that comes up from like some sort of, well, the, uh, uh, was it AR, AMR2, another Metroid remake, whatever yeah. that, uh, AMR, I mean, AMR2. yeah. So, I mean, it, it was obvious that Nintendo was going to shut that down and people are like pissed. Like, why would you shut this down? Like without Nintendo's IPs, they're nothing. They're a no company like without Metroid and Link and Mario or, um, uh well I was gonna say Bayonetta but that's a that's a Capcom thing now. Um, uh, platinum. Same platinum. Same. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like they they aren't any they don't have anything else. Like the only reason why they're still a viable company is because they know how to make games and they have these great amazing characters and these great amazing storylines. So the second you start stealing from that, like that's like Nintendo doesn't have anything to fall back on. You know, like unlike Microsoft who can fall back on oh gosh I don't know Windows Ten. Or Sony, who can fall back on, oh, man, was it Sony Pictures who makes movies? Like, Nintendo doesn't do anything but make games, right? Right, and this is the thing about Sony. PlayStation 4 saves Sony. That's that's a problem when a headline is like, yeah, our sis, our fourth system that beat Microsoft's system is saving our company. Right. It's a little terrifying, don't you think? Pretty much. And, like, at least with Nintendo, you know, even if they don't sell nothing, guess what? They got $10 billion in the bank reserve to start nope. another company. Don't you know how much money they are banking on right now? Oh, yeah. yeah I still remember reading the headline that uh, the Wii U was the first Nintendo console that Nintendo released um, where they would actually lose money every time that they sold a console. And they're like, Microsoft and Sony do this for every console. Every time they sell a console, they lose money. And it's like, yeah, they can do that. Nintendo just makes games. That's all they do. So right. they have to make money on their console. Like, why is that such an odd business practice to and, you, and consumer? Is, and this is the weird thing is that even with the Wii U, guess what? If you walk into GameStop, those games are still 45 some dollars. Yeah. In. That's a shame that Uncharted yep. 4 that came out for PlayStation 4 is 19 bucks. Yep. I mean, you can't, you, like, you can go to Target right now and you can, they've got Wii games, Wii games, brand new Wii games and their Wii U section of like Just Dance and, um, I think it's one of the Fire Emblem games. They're yeah. still 50 and $60. Like, and there's a reason why is because you can't play those games. Well, especially Fire Emblem, anywhere else on any other console like that. If you want to play them, you have to play them on the Wii. So why would Nintendo ever discount those games? Like, right. people are going to buy them, you know? And and definitely in the handheld space, people are just like, well, why this game costs $40? Because guess what? If you don't buy this Fire Emblem Awakening, you're not going to see it. Yep. And they were That's just exactly like, right. They're like, well, I'll get a digital. Okay, go ahead and do that. And people just be like, 
and people, some people are just like, well, I don't want to buy a digital. I want the physical copy. Well, you got two choices. You buy this or you walk out the store and have someone else buy it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that Nintendo has been able to do correctly, which is they realize how important the games are to their console. Like, that was one of the things that um, Iowata used to say all the time, is that the console is just the vehicle to get you to play the game. Right. The game is what matters. I mean, people would people shit all over the Wii U, but it's like, well, that's fine. You can crap all over the Wii U that you want. But the problem is, is that Super Mario 3D Land and Super Mario 3D World are awesome. They are some of the best platforming games that you can play. Do you want to play those games? I do. Okay, well, guess what? You're playing it on the Wii U. So just, you know, and, get over whatever weird stigma you have about it. And you got two of the most powerful consoles out, but yet everybody wants a Wii U for last year's Christmas. Right. Yep. Dude, I don't know. It like, doesn't make any... I mean... Like, Nintendo dominated last year's holiday sales. I don't know how PlayStation 4 sold. They said it was the leading Christmas thing. I'm like, I don't see nobody buying it because if it wasn't a 2DS, a 3DS, or a Wii U, you, no one was buying video games. Right. No, I mean, that's that's the thing that, I mean, people were like, oh, Nintendo's going out of business. Like, no. No. It's, Nintendo will never go out of business. Like, sorry. Like, they could sell the Pokemon franchise to Sony or Microsoft, and it would it would be a LucasArts selling to Disney. Like, they would be fine for the rest of time. Like, yeah, <laughs> and pretty much uh, Nintendo doesn't own Pokemon, but the Pokemon company just... Right, yeah, the Pokemon company, yep. They, they just bank on it, um, because Game Freak, uh, they put that Timbo the Elephant on PlayStation. How well did that sell? Never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's, it was a. Uh, I think Sega uh, published it, but Game Freak was the developer, and everybody who played Game Freak's game was just like, "I thought y'all was by Nintendo." Nope, Nintendo doesn't own Game Freak, and yep. So, but uh, that handheld space, uh, the beauty of that I love it, like you said earlier, taking it on the go, playing it when other people are playing it. Um, it, it's funny that you mentioned the Wii U. And Bayonetta, because Bayonetta 2 is one of my favorite games. Uh, for, for like, the 3DS, A Link Between Worlds had me, like, I want a link to the past on this engine in 60 yep. frames. I, I want that engine so bad on for that game. Uh, but um, Phoenix Wright was a big one. Uh, when it comes, like, the $20, uh, uh, we had Castlevania, Down of Sorrow. Um, for Game Boy Advance, we had Metroid Zero Mission. Uh, I actually played that on the GameCube adapter. Uh, yep. I, I couldn't play it on the Game Boy Advance. I need that it's game. too controller. small, man. Yeah, it's yeah. too small. Yep. So, uh, I, I bought one of those uh, those hoary um, uh, game pads where it's, it looks like a Super NES controller, but it's for yeah. the GameCube uh-huh. that are like now like $150, and I ended up selling it. I, I still like hop on eBay every once in a while, like once a month, just to see if maybe I can get one for like under a hundred dollars, and it's 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 next to impossible. Someone's selling that somebody's garage sale, or probably that's store. what I'm holding out on. Yes, see, I want to go thrift store shopping and garage sale shopping. I've never been to one to look for old video games. Oh man, it's fun. I need some grandma to just throw some old stuff out, so I can be like, oh. Oh, this whole d- dusty box? What is this? Nintendo World K- Championship? 
Uh, I'll give you a dollar. I'll give you a dollar. Oh, you're selling the Sega Saturn with Panzer Dragoon and its original copy for $10? Let me take that off your hand. <laughs> right? All right, see ya. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that's the beauty of handheld games. We're about to go into PC because PC, I, I'm not a... I don't want to say I'm not a fan of it. I just don't do a lot of gaming on PC. Sure. Um, I can tell you the only game that I've beaten on an actual PC was Grand Theft Auto 3. And there you I, go. And I ripped the music to uh, Beat FM because it was like the rap hip-hop station. No, yep. game, game FM. That's what it was. I, yep. ripped the, I ripped that to a CD and just banged that in my car. Um, and, nice. Uh, Roller Coaster uh, Tycoon 3, just to make roller coasters. But yep. uh, you do a lot of indie games on PC. I do. Um, what do you think is the beauty of PC gaming? And we'll probably end up talking about Steam. And I kind of want to also get your thoughts about Crisis. Remember when no vi- no computer could run it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so indie games, uh, I've kind of became like made my bread and butter and the the reason for that is because i feel like um there's something you can do differently with an indie game that you can't do with uh i guess we'll just call it triple a gaming because those are the dirty words when they come when you start talking about indie games triple a gaming uh triple a publishers and money and advertising and million dollar budgets and they're all Dead beats and money grubbers and blah 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 blah. Um, what's great about indie gaming, at least for me, especially from you know growing up and playing these games, is like a lot of people don't realize that some of these developers and publishers started out as indie developers. Um, there just wasn't a word for it yet. There wasn't a there wasn't a like a stigma or a tie to those. So like the one I bring up time and time again is id Software with Doom. Like they were an indie developer. Like when they brought out Doom and Wolfenstein 3D, they did it with a team of like 10 maybe developers. And only about four of those developers were actually actively working on the engine. Uh, the other ones were like marketing and, and sales and that kind of thing. Like they, um, that I've read stories where there were developers from Activision who actively sold their houses or put up second mortgages to pay for the develop, development of some games. And it's like, you look at these developers now and these publishers now, and they're, you know, they're multi-million dollar, um, ha- uh, publishers yeah. and houses. And it's like, yeah, right. Everybody comes from humble beginnings, you know, like very rarely is it somebody who comes to you and says, Hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars to make this game. Like that's usually you make a game. Cause it's like, and I, this is something for anybody who's ever listened to any of my like talks or anything that I've ever done. Uh, I quote Kevin Smith quite a bit because I feel like um, he is like me. He kind of grew up uh, in these odd uh, places where he just wanted to do something. So uh, Kevin Smith, for those who don't know, is a writer and director for the movie Clerks, which is probably the movie that everybody knows him about. And uh, one of his talks he gives, uh, somebody asked him why he made Clerks. And the reason he made Clerks is because it was a movie he wanted to see. 
Then he realized that nobody could make that movie except for him. So he decided to put the money up and make the movie. That's one of the main reasons why he made Clerks. Like, I feel that way when it comes to indie games. I feel that sometimes indie developers, they make a certain game because they really just want to play that game. They want to know what that game is like. Mm-hmm. Um, one game that comes to mind is Thomas Was Alone uh, by Michael Bithell. Biddle, I think I think so. Okay. Um, he made this, he made Thomas was alone because he thought, how cool would it be to have these shapes that are on screen, but they have, they are so plain and like kind of ugly looking, but they're bursting with personality. I want to play that game. So he made that game, you know? Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in indie gaming. There's a lot of hearts. There's a lot of blood and there's a lot of sweat and tears. Um, they get thrown into these games. So when I kind of started my journey, um, it came from the mindset of a console gamer because that's who I was. Uh, as I said before, like growing up, like we weren't poor, but we were definitely on the edge of it. And it was like having a computer that was functional enough to be able to play a PC game, especially at any sort of high res or high frame rate mm-hmm. would not happen. Like we, just couldn't afford that computer, right, you know. Lot, so a, a lot of people in PC market when they started, it was a test game or it was a adventure game. Um, you mentioned Doom and Wolfenstein, that you know that came later down the line, and mm-hmm. like for a lot of people, uh, maybe around two thousand or early nineties, you know, we had flash games. And, oh yeah, and those were kind of like the indie games because I play Alien Hominid on the at, on Flash. Yep. Um, on new grounds, man. Yeah, and I think Cave Story was Flash. Also, Cave Story was Flash. Meat Boy was Flash. Meat Boy was Flash. So, um, we had these definitely in my college year. That's where I played some of them at, and it was just like these were kind of the games that it was just coming from around the world, or it was coming from your uh, local uh developer. Like you didn't yep. know, but it offered more than having to wait. Uh, when a game's gonna be released and wait for that cartridge to come out, you know, your right. stuff was digital. That's like the first digital kind of system before even Steam came out. Oh yeah, so it was, it was, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird time to look back at that because, uh, especially like shareware was such, uh, like an interesting idea where you could get a floppy disk with a game on it with like yeah. a single episode of a game and flap it in your drive and be like, Oh, you can play this game for this amount of time. And that's it. If you want more, you have to call or you have to write in with a check or a money order and say, Hey, I want the rest of this game. Then they mail it to you. Like the, 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 the avenue for getting that much content was literally just like buying console games. Uh, was going to a store and hoping that somebody had a shelf full of PC games that you could look at and buy big box with the CD in it. Like I still, I still have my uh, Warcraft two big box somewhere yeah. uh, that had a giant manual in it that had all of the lore of all the different characters and the races and tribes that were in it. I remember bringing that to one of my doctor's visits because I was like, Oh, this is just what I'm going to read today. My <laughs> Warcraft two lore, you know, I got to get, boned up on it you know um and because of that like it 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 went through the same stages the problem was is that it didn't have big names like sega and nintendo and sony and 
uh, Lucas Arts on it. You know, like it was, you know, it was id or it was, um, it was just these, these odd names that either, either, you know, bullfrog games, God, who remembers that developer? Um, it was just, you know, these odd names that when you look at it and it's like, okay, well, I can either buy Tekken or I can buy this weird adventure game for the PC. It's Alone still the, in the dark. Oh God, Alone in the Dark. Yeah. Like that, when you would look at those side by side, it's like, okay, they both look promising, but guess what I know? It's Tekken because it's PlayStation and it's Sony. I know that. So you buy that. You know what I mean? Right. Like growing up in like middle America at that time, like it was hard to jump over to PC gaming because it's like, there's, I don't know who these people are and your parents sure sure as hell weren't just going to start shilling out money uh, for PC games. Cause it's like, no, that's the PC games. The computer is what you do your homework on. Right. You got you got the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica on there. Like you don't have, you're not supposed to play games. You can play solitaire, or you can play Minesweeper. Like, right. And it was, so it, it's. I think it's still hard today to find uh within your local town a big PC community. You can find yeah. it online now, but back in the day, it was your friends were talking about whatever console and whatever game. You weren't hearing people talking about Mist. You weren't hearing people right. talking about Half Life. Like you would have to party read in a PC magazine when it came out if you was picking those up about what was happening in the PC world. Yeah, I mean, you and you didn't read PC magazines because that's what the nerds read. You don't read. You don't. You don't hang out with the nerds. You know, you're playing P- console games, <laughs> PC games. No, I, I had EGM and Game Pro, so I was good. Oh, absolutely. So did I. I love Game Pro, man. Those April editions where they did the lame Pro, yeah, and it was all B. Oh man, I love, I love those April Fools editions. Um, so I feel like uh, what's what's happened is uh, this uh, the world that we live in in terms of gaming. Like it, it's kind of so it was it was separate at first. It was PC gamers and console gamers, and it's gotten even worse now because now we have hardcore dedicated PC gamers. We have hardcore dedicated console gamers and they hate each other. And it's like, I, you know, I've, I can't remember how many console gamers I talked to and like, Oh, what games are you playing? I was like, Oh, I'm playing limbo, uh, for it's on steam. It's great. Like, Oh, you're not playing call of duty. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not playing call of duty. That's not the game that I, that's not a game I want to, I want to play limbo. Like that's the right. game I want to play, and, and, you know? And, and this is the thing with, with the indie space. And I like how you say hardcore PC gamers or hardcore, uh, console gamers. The console gamers don't pay attention to indies. So nope. guess what? Limbo's on PlayStation. Did you take the time to even look at it? No. Was it free? Did I get with my PlayStation plus membership? No, eh, I'm going to skip it. Right. You know, you got, with at least with the PC market, you got good deals like the hum, humble bundle deals. Um, right, you'll get it maybe seventy percent off, like they're down on the line. Like they got good sales on it, and hard some of the hardcore gamers who stick to their system. I'm like, there's stuff on PC that that you guys are missing. That's not on. You know, Owl Boy. You know, I heard that. Oh a, man, yeah, I heard that's a really good game. Um, yep. That dragon cancer, you know, that's on that's on PC. You don't get that same kind of feeling, like yep. like rhyme, you know. Yeah, that's on both systems. But guess what? That cancer, that dragon cancer, 
gives this different vibe of Ron. It don't it don't right. it, pressing A to kill somebody. To pay respects. Yeah, to pay <laughs> respects. Like really? Like if if you I mean, and I have no problem if you guys like Call of Duty. That's fine. But No, Call of Duty is a great game. Right. But there's so much stuff on PC that's not even on console that if you just went ahead and touched. Like for me, like I said earlier, I, I don't play a lot of PC because I wait for those games to come out. But I love reading your reviews and hearing your podcast. I love when you're streaming about indie stuff because I'll be like, I want that to come to Switch or I want that to come right. to Xbox. And it's, it, it may never come. And sometimes I'd be like, you know what? I need to get a controller. I I, I'm, I was telling my friend I'm getting the Xbox uh, wireless thing because yep. if it comes, for your PC, yeah, because yep. if it comes to a bit some indie games that's not on uh, consoles, I want to play them on my laptop. I, yeah. I want to get that same experience as the PC world and be able to talk yeah. about those games. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a constant struggle, and I don't know if it has to do with just like just the ignorance of the like kind of the community that um, I run in, or if it's just um, they they refuse to listen. But it's I mean I, I've spoken to any developers, and it's like no, you know it would it would help out greatly if you would kind of tier your game to like a console gamer aspect, like have built-in controls, like make it really easy for somebody right. to install your game. And they're like, oh, well, I mean, we're on Steam. Like, what else do you want? Like, you may think that the internet has helped console gamers meet new indie games. Well, guess what? It hasn't. It's actually made it worse. Right. Like, it's it's separated the group so far out now that the, the indie gamers slash indie developers refuse to even think as to, that console gamers and console developers as viable income for their game that they don't even want to they don't even want to think about it and it's like that's such a a moronic thing to think it's like you forget that we're we're all here to play games yes. like let right. me hug you on the internet like i just want to have fun with you like why why so much animosity like just you know like it doesn't make any sense why why this there's so much like i mean hate is what it ends up being i, I think for a lot of console gamers is that you know, just like you said, I feel like some of us, us console gamers were so one-sided because it's a game on a console. And we hear all the crazy stuff about PC that we got to keep every three months or something. We got to get another graphics card or right. then, then that graphics card. Which like, you do, by the way. You need to stay up on those graphics cards. But And those graphics cards are like $500, $600, where at least with my console, the tech not the technology doesn't change, but people get better developing their games to the point where right. they know it gets easier to develop and they can put out games quicker. A, a lot of people are just a, a lot of people even on the console side miss some games because they're so focused on if it's not Call of Duty or if it's not this kind of game, it's not for me. Right, and I want to put where my money is at. So they'll have that limit kind of games, where I, where I see PC, it's just like, hey, they got some good strategy games. That's tropical. 
you know, yep. a, a lot of people play that Civilization Five. A lot of people play that. You know, The Sims is big. Uh, World of Warcraft is big. League, uh, League of Legends and stuff is big. Like that kind Dota. of stuff. Yep. Dota. That kind of stuff. I can't get that experience on console, and I would love to learn about it. And I would love to talk to people people about it because talking to them brings a better understanding and makes video right. games fun. And I think a lot of console people don't want to understand and don't want to learn. So they're missing out on that fun side that PC gamers get. You know. Oh, absolutely. You I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like that's exactly what it is. Like it's it's on both sides. Like it's right. The console gamers that are like, you know, like, I don't want to spend my money with a no-name developer. I don't know what I'm getting into. I know what I get with Call of Duty. I know what I get with Madden. I, I'm okay giving them my $60, even though it's like, you know, Street Fighter Five is a perfect example. It's like, oh, no, let me give you $60. Oh, this game is broken, and there's no storylines, and the campaigns are all jacked up, and you're only giving me how many characters, and I have to pay for what now? Like... Yeah, like those big AAA developers are also taking a dump on you in case you didn't know. Right. <laughs> but the problem is, uh, is something that I have been trying to d- fix, which is building that bridge between you, the perfect console gamer, and somebody who's created an indie game. So my one of my uh, indie game review websites, iamericam.com, is based purely on the fact of um, – finding games that you like and what those games and what other games are like them. So the perfect example is let's say you like games like Mario, you like platformers like super Mario brothers. I, the site goes out and finds indie games that are platformer games that kind of feel and work like super Mario brothers. Yes. Because they have certain attractions that way and say, Hey, if you like super Mario brothers, you will also like this game. Or if you like Contra, you will also like this game because it's a running gun and it's a one death kill. And all those things that you love about Contra are in this game. It's okay to spend your money with this game because it has this likeness. So the, it's been, a, you know, it's, it's been a trying time trying to get all this up and running because it's just me trying to get all this working and it's kind of a pain in the ass, but I'm still, I'm still going at it. Um, but I feel like. Well, I, I see ahead. I see that as a passion, and I love that passion. And console gamers need to see that. Like you, you everybody blew up about uh, Geometry Wars. Mm-hmm. There's other games yep. that came out like that besides uh, uh, before Geometry Wars. Oh yeah. And if you talk to that indie developer, you could see they'll tell you the inspirations for those games. So that sometimes makes you want to go out and look at the PC market and be like, okay. This is on Steam or this is on good old games. You know what? Maybe I will play it. Maybe I will give it a try. And you would literally be surprised on how good that game is. And you would see that uh, passion and that inspiration and be like, okay, now I get it. Now I see why Jump Chi Wars is the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, It's I've definitely had those games where they would come across and I was like, oh, what is this? And I'll play it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like one of the games that comes to mind, uh, is a game called Skelly Mania, uh, by a developer called Ben Allen. I just happened to randomly come across it on Game Jolt. And I was like, wow, this game's really well done. It's this very cool, like Commodore 64 Amiga style graphics. And yeah. it's like, a, it's a straight platform with tons of clues and puzzles and all this stuff. And this really intriguing story. I was like, 
man, this game is not getting any like hype and it's not getting any exposure like it should be. So I did what only I knew to do, which was to record a let's play and do a review and try to link it as much as possible. And I, you know, the developer was like, Hey, you know, thank you so much, blah, 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 which is, you know, whatever at the end of the day. But then I read, I think like six or seven months ago that his new version of Skillamania uh, it's like version 2.0 or 2.5 or whatever it is. It's being released on PlayStation 4. And I was like, I went on the game tool forums like, oh my God, dude, amazing. This is so great. Like all these people are going to be able to play your game now. Like it's a great game and I'm super happy for you. And it's like, that to me is enough. Like that to me, like reaching out and saying like, I knew it all the time. Like I'm so happy more people are going to know, you know, like it's, yes. If somebody just would have been like, hey, you like platformers, right? Like, yeah. I'm like, hey, you should check out this platformer. It's really good. That's all I would have needed, you know, sometimes to make that jump. Like if somebody came to me and was like, um, uh, do you like uh, Contra? I'm like, yeah, I love Contra. Like, well, there's a really cool game. It's called Super um, Cyborg. Uh, it's an indie game. It's on sale for $4.99. Check it out. I would buy it and I would play it and be like, you know what? This is a lot like Contra. And I really dig that. So thank you, you know, um, imaginary person I just made up on the spot who told me about Super Cyborg, which you should check out if you like Contra because it's a really good game. I've had to look it up because I love me some Contra. It's really good. It's Um, really good. It sounds like the British version of Contra. Because remember, they right. got, because you remember, they, they got, uh, like, like cyborg something. That came yeah, it couldn't be humans. It had to be, uh, robots because there was a weird law at the time. Yeah, what was I that? Love, I love some good running guns. Like, oh, okay. Oh, now I'm going to have to look at this after the show and be like, yeah, I need to write this right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, um, I want, I, we, I brought up Steam. And I kind of want to talk to you about it before we get to uh, talk, uh, talk about Crisis. Um, Steam kind of changed the format for video games for PC with this digital platform. And it's it's beautiful in the sense that they kind of changed PC gaming and, you know, uh, gave us Half-Life with Valve and stuff. But it kind of change in a in a negative way and i don't know how steam can be seen as beautiful now than it was back then um what are your thoughts about steam now than it was back before and we'll probably mention like steam green like kind of i think steam green like really destroyed the platform of, of steam itself and but val i feel like just made it worse by just not doing what they were kind of known for doing. But what what do you think? I got you. Um, so Steam is... so uh, Man, it's tough, right? Because uh, Steam ended up becoming this beast that it probably never should have became. So when Steam came out, it was like the first of its kind. It was the platform to buy games. Yeah. And because it was backed by Valve and Gabe Newell, which you know, was money bag supreme. Um, People relied on it so much that they forgot that creating and selling games at the end of the day is all about, you know, creating revenue so that you can take that money and make another game out of it. Um, Steam made it so easy to turn that revenue into actual viable cash that you could literally give to back to your development team to say, hey, we're going to make another game because we made money on Steam. Um, 
with anything like that, it's, it's always a burden because it's like you, you need this, right? Like as a developer, you need this one centralized location for your public to come to spend money for you to make money so that you can continue as a company. But nobody stopped to think, well, we probably need some sort of competition, right? Because competition breeds um, better examples for customers at the end of the day. You know, if you had a viable service, let's say you and I have the same service and I cut my costs to beat you. Well, that's good for the customer. That means that you have to think of a reason to cut your costs or to bring more value to your product that I can't. You know, it, it breeds that competition. Like you see it with, um, well, I mean, if you live in the Cincinnati area, like I do, um, you see that it's uh, it becomes a, a duopoly, especially with like high speed internet. So here in Cincinnati, we have two forms of high speed internet. We have cable, and we have satellite. That is it. Those. That is, it is owned by two separate companies. Well, those two companies know that you can't get internet any other way other than by one of those two companies. Mm-hmm. So they play games with each other where it's like, oh, we're going to do a sale here, but we're going to triple it on the back end. Or um, now if a third company came in and said, nope, it's going to be $25 a month. Here's unlimited internet. Have fun. Then those two companies are going to go into shock wondering like, what do we do? How do we compete? How do we become... Uh, progressive in this area now. So Steam became such a giant that nobody stopped to think like, maybe we should have a different platform, an alternative platform for developers, for people to come, publishers to buy games. So they kept feeding into Steam. Now I feel like Steam is so big that it's almost too big to fail, which makes me sick just saying that because nothing is too big to fail, but developers especially indie developers have forgotten the the old adage of i mean basically something that i call hand-to-hand combat which is going out onto twitter and searching for something like fighting games and just searching for those terms and finding people who are talking about fighting games and then messaging those people directly saying hey if you're looking for an interesting fighting game i have this really cool game over here it's called skull girls uh, you may really enjoy it. It's a 2D fighting game. Check it out. Here's the link. Like developers don't work. They don't think that way anymore. They don't, they, they want to make a game and release it on the steam and then just sit back and let the money roll in. But I'm a very bare bones kind of like grassroots kind of guy knowing that that is not how business works. And regardless of what we're talking about, you know, selling books or if you're making widgets and selling those to pr- production lines, like making a game and putting it out on Steam and then just waiting for the money to reel in is completely nonsensical. Like that just doesn't happen. Like you have to advertise, you have to market, like you have to reach out to a community, you have to talk to influencers, like you have to do those things. So now we have. Websites like Game Jolt, uh, Itch.io, uh, Humble Bundle, uh, uh, Good Old Games. I'm sure there's another one in there somewhere. Yeah. But the problem with it, that is now we are seeing gamers and console gamers and PC gamers that are like, oh, developer X, I want to play your game. Is it on Steam? It is not on Steam. Well, then I am not going to play your game. 
And it's for dumb reasons because of ease of access, which don't get me wrong. Steam is super easy to use. Um, things that really drive me insane, which are achievements. I still can't believe people are crazy about how important achievements are. Like that just blows my mind. Like here are a bunch of imaginary trophies for you. Congratulations. You played a game. Like I don't get that, but there's a lot of people feel like achievement and trophy is the reason to have replay value for that game. But the thing about it is just like, well, if, Having the trophies and achievements don't tell you on how to get it. Right. What's the reason of even having And you're just showing off a number. You know, a, a lot of people, for us back in the day, if our achievement was putting our three initials on an arcade game, because guess what? The next day that that, it, it, it's going to reset. And it's going to be gone. It's going to yep. be gone. But we can talk about that experience. With the achievement yeah. thing and trophies, we'll get it. And it won't even matter because what if we just traded the game in? All we did, all we really did was just one of the trophies just to show off. And, well, you don't get nothing for the trophy. Right, yeah. There's no, like, in-game currency or anything like that. So, but for whatever reason, and the and the current market that we're in right now, like, uh, achievements are a huge thing. Like, I, I read articles or hear, listen to podcasts all the time about people complaining that there's no platinum trophies in PlayStation games and how Sony's ruining trophies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, I mean, is the game any good? Is the, is the game any good? Right. It's, I mean, no, we're just talking trophies. That's all we care about. So uh, I feel like there's um, it's it's such a weird it's such a weird time that I feel like there should be something else. There, sh- there needs. OK, so there needs to be some sort of viable uh, competition to steam. Mm-hmm. But for that to happen is it has to be backed by a name that, you know, and a name that you trust. And it has to be a basically a perfect platform in all of intense purposes of that word perfect uh because steam is nowhere near perfect um but it's like okay who do you give that to do you give it to microsoft do you give it to sony do you give it to sega do you give it to nintendo do you come up with a whole a whole different company i mean like i feel like the fact that amazon purchased twitch and has their own like a uh, game engine that's backed with Amazon's uh, and Twitch and their, all their server based stuff. If anybody was going to sit down and say, we need a platform that, that competes with steam, it would be Amazon. But for whatever reason, they haven't taken that leap either because Jeff Bezos doesn't see it as a viable constitute. Or if they honestly believe that steam is just too big to do battle with um, it's, it's sad, unfortunately, but like anything, one day there will be no Steam. You know, there there's not going to be an HIO one day. There won't be a Game Jolt one day. You know, it's it's hard for people to believe that it's true. So, that the other thing that I run into is somebody who collects, and I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a historian of any points, but there's definitely been games that I bought just because I was like, oh, I want to I want to uh, conserve this. I I want to make sure that nobody does anything bad to this. Um, which is basically just throwing money into the fire because uh, I, you know, I don't need four copies of 10 yard fight. It's terrible. It's a terrible game. <laughs> um, uh, those games won't be, I mean, those games are going to be gone. You know, it's just like any, any online server, um, like, you know, sooner or later, the Wii servers are no longer going to work if they don't already work now. I can't remember. Um, 
But for whatever reason, like those games that you bought, if you delete those games or they get removed or you lose your Wii or something like that, like, you know, sayonara, like those games are gone. That, you know, license, licensing is a big thing on the digital, like Adam yep. Wake. Oh, perfect removed. example. Absolutely perfect. Go, go for it. Great example. Go. No, I, I would just say just remove. And they were just like, if you guys want this game before they take it away, get it now. Yeah, they sold it for like 99 cents or something. Like it was disgustingly exactly. low. Like, And then everybody was looking for the physical copy for 360 Well, guess what? It's 150 some dollars on some eBay. And it's just like, go. really? Yeah. Like, I think that's one thing about Steam uh, that I, I kind of worried about. It's just like, how long are y'all contracts for the license? Because right. if the license go out, that money that I gave to you, I don't get back. You don't refund me for that money. And if some, if my if my system crash and I can't re-download that game, I'm screwed. Yep, money's gone. No, it's a, it's a terrible thing. It's a it's. I mean, I will say that uh, especially when it comes to like um, trying to find workarounds with. Uh, getting things up and running again like uh, people are very resilient um i can honestly say that i played fantasy star online a couple of days ago uh, um, you're not supposed to but there's ways around it like oh, i get uh, i have full faith in that oh don't worry about that because me and my other friend we've been talking about fantasy star online it needs to come to switch come i agree Sega. oh man that would be great yeah, yeah. You if you're listening it. make that happen um so it's it's like anything else nowadays as we move to a digital age. I mean, it it becomes that thing of um is the stuff that we're buying really ours? Like I know um this was a few years ago now, but like Bruce Willis, everybody knows who Bruce Willis is. Um he put his entire iTunes library in his will to give to his kids and Apple was like, "Uh, you don't actually own that music. You were only licensing it from us. And once we lose that license, the money is gone and the songs are gone." And he ended up suing Apple because of it, because he was like, no, I'm giving you my hard-earned money for this music. This should be mine. And unfortunately, Apple ended up winning because in their contracts, it shows that you don't actually own the music. It's only a license or a rental fee uh, for you to listen to it. And once that music's gone, it's gone. Um, the awful thing about it is that that is the world that we live in. We live in a just a disposable society where people are perfectly fine with throwing their money away for digital goods, especially when it's the same cost as a physical good, which still blows my mind that people are spending $60 for downloaded games. Like stop, like just go out and buy the game. Well, like buy the disc. that, that discussion and where I'm going to have that some, sometime in the future, a lot of people feel like it's easier to get the digital version than go to the store or wait for Amazon to drop right. a physical copy. But uh, like we talked about the licensing thing, that digital copy is not guaranteed because exactly if they take it off and you get a new system, you want to re-download it, it's gone. You, right. You can't get that Silent Hill demo no more. Oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, PET? Yeah, something yeah. like that. You can- um, but no, you're you're absolutely correct. Like a lot of these dig- these physical discs now are just acting as keys for them to open the door to download the game. And it's like, if that game's not there to download, you're, but the problem is, is us as gamers, as a community, we have allowed all of this to happen. We are perfectly fine 
with all of this and have been for many years now. And it's only now uh, that we're starting to see some sort of kickback uh, from it. So like you had mentioned about like steam and green light. So, I mean like steam green light, which granted the intention of the service is great. You put a game online, you try to get enough votes for make sure that people would actually like, Oh, if this game was available, we would want, we would want to buy it and to play it. Then yes, let's put this game on steam. Um, the problem with that is, is anything that feels like it's in good light, there's always bad people behind it. So you can like, the problem was, is you were buying, there was people who were buying votes that you would spend, you know, 10 or $15 per vote for people to come and vote for that. You know, that's a terrible thing. Um, then they moved to steam direct, which I think is the name they decided on where it was basically just a flat $100. If you want your game on steam, give us a hundred bucks. If you do good in 12 months, we'll give you that money back. Okay, coming up with $100 is going to be a little bit more difficult than I would say asking for votes or trying to get votes. Um, so you're going to push out a couple of developers who just don't have a budget, who just can't afford $100. And, and the thing with the, with the Steam Greenlight and Direct was, you know, Direct was trying to end all those bad games that came on. Right. Now, even if the bad games end up on Steam, uh, Steam Direct, you still have to deal with those developers. And, right. you know, people who watch Jim Sterling's show, uh, The Jim Christian, they seen all the dramas, all the drama he went through with all these companies, DMC and A-Hill, um, all the stuff that was blocking people for, you know, saying negative reviews. Um, half of the games that, that were playing were asset flips from Unity. So, yep. like, you... And Steam was allowing this, and then it re- did not really step in to stop this. They didn't really stop a lot of those developers. They let the developers just run rampant on the community. Yeah, and I'm like, you guys are responsible for this. And if you're, if you're, if you guys at Steam are not going to do anything about this, I don't want to support your platform. Exactly, but some people weren't console gamers, and they and so they were they were forced to do two things: stop playing Steam and go to like EA at Origins or Microsoft Ten or GOG or go to some other website, or they had to deal with this and and just have their money lost and take right. And that's the thing, because I mean, it's it's it's. It's like I said before, like we've allowed this as gamers, as a community, we've allowed this to happen. We have allowed uh, for companies like Steam and Microsoft and Ubisoft to come in and say, this is how we're going to do it. Either you like it or you don't. And it's like, we don't like it, but we're still going to spoon feed ourselves because we have no other way of doing it rather than staying, you know. I, I, it's, it, I, it's one of those things that I, I've been saying, not just from video games, but if anything, if you don't like something or if you don't like somebody or some company who's doing a particular thing, don't stand out in front of the door and yell, uh, yell and shout and hold up signs. Like use your money. So it's like, if you don't like steam, stop giving them your money, give it to somebody else and let them know, Hey, I'm giving my money to company X because you are doing Y it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that difficult, but we get so stuck in our ways and we get so comfortable with things that we allow, we give up some of those freedoms. We give up some of those securities for the benefit of like, oh, well, they'll take care of me at the end of the day. And it's like, no, they're a company. They want your money like anything else. So they're going to do whatever they can to keep whittling money out of you. 
exactly. And if that developer, if they, if you could buy that game from that developer and publisher on their website, and it downloads to your system, do that instead of going through Steam. Yep. That, that way, at least you own it, and you can enjoy that game in your comfort and not deal with this the silliness that Steam is allowing. And I mean, they they ended up changing the policy and stuff, but I'm like, look at the Alex Murray thing. With the DMCA, she didn't even yep. make the game, and they took it off. Like, yep. how how do you believe someone else who did the music, and not the people who submitted the game? You're Sting, and you're you would think they would know exactly. And you're allowing yep. this. Yeah, it's. I think more than ever, it's we. It shows that we need something different. Somebody needs to come, and I don't know, again, I don't know who that would be, but somebody needs to step up and say, we're going to change this. We're going to do this differently. Uh, we're going to be very plain. We're going to be very uh, cut and dry, and we're going to be very open about what we are doing and why we are doing what we're doing so that you know coming in what to expect. And if that works out for everybody, then we will do this thing. But until that happens... Steam will continue to rely on their algorithm, which is shite. If you've ever tried to search for anything when it comes to their algorithm, uh, you have to re- you have to rely on their influencers, which don't get me wrong. As somebody who is trying to be an influencer, hey, it's me. <laughs> um, I feel like there's also the, a line there that you end up crossing where you are no longer an influencer. You are an employee of company X because they are giving you X amount of dollars to do this thing. And once you cross that line as somebody who watches you or listens to you, you need to start second guessing this person and start questioning them. Yes. Um, I feel like we've, un- unfortunately we've become a society of whatever the least resistance is and we just go for it. And because of that, we are now in this situation of companies like steam and Ubisoft and, and, and EA who are like, no, this is how it's going to happen. And we're just like, okay. Exactly. So it's, it sucks. It's so bad. (laughs) And, And I know it sounds like we're kind of negative on it, but it does. I mean, we feel this way because we feel th- there's a beauty in PC. Oh, the, yeah, we love it. Modding. Yeah. We have modding. Oh, man, we have, modding. Well, we have emulation. Uh, well. The, uh, I'm, I'm not playing this game, so to speak. <laughs> we have right. that. Uh, we have creators and developers who, who sometimes make a mod out of a game, and it becomes big. Player, player on the battlegrounds. That yep. game plug. Like, Dota. Dota. You know, we've got good things that come out of PC. But now, before we end with the PC, we got to talk about the Crisis of Crisis. Um, This is a game by Crytek, uh, a first-person shooter. And this is kind of probably the first game that, regardless of what, even the best graphic card could not run this game. It could probably run it now, but... But when it was released. But when it, it was released... What were their what was their thinking? Uh, man, I don't know. So <laughs> it was an interesting news article when it came out. It was the play the game that nobody can play because yeah. they developed the game that nobody could play it. Um I, I it was probably just 
as dumb as this sounds, it was probably just a, a mishap from like one developer in the team who just like happened to put the specs up too high. I was like, Oh, it'll be fine. But I think the more, I think the more fun story there is the, um, we're going to be futuristic. Like we're going to be, we're going to be so amazing that it's the game is so amazing. You can't even play it because the hardware doesn't exist. Amazing. God, you want this game so bad. Just buy this game. Let it collect dust in your shelf for six months until the actual video cards available. Then buy that video card for $800, slap it in your PC, realize you need a new motherboard and Intel chip, spend an extra two grand to get an update your PC and then put this game in and it's going to be mediocre to just okay. Yeah. We're going to be that company. Like, I feel like somebody thought that may have been a good idea. Wasn't that that Katana gay or... Oh, uh, yeah, George Romero <laughs> or John Romero. Yeah, that coolness. Yeah. This game's going to make you its bitch. Like, <laughs> ooh, not amazing advertising. It's a terrible game. Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and you could go ahead and have fun with that on the N64. Yeah, no, it's no good. It's no good. I'll, I'll, just give me Mischief Makers on N64 and I'll be good to go. <laughs> just like shaking things. Uh, yes. Someone should have shook him with that terrible game. Uh, yeah, yep. but Crisis was just like maybe one of the biggest craziest thing in PC. I, I know like the Batman Arkham Knight, you know, that debug, the Final Fantasy 14 when it first came out. That wasn't no good. Like yep. they had to do a uh, uh, a real reborn. They had to fix that. Yeah, I mean, and then you got like Street Fighter uh, Five, which they were like, "Oh, we get the best netcode uh, programmers on the market," and like, "All right, well, the online doesn't work, so I don't know what they're doing." But um, my favorite that I always go back to is the Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Do you remember this debacle where it was like, oh, we've got DLC that you can pay for and download. And it's like, actually, this DLC is on the disc, so I've already paid for it. But now you're making me pay for it again? Like, I loved when that happened because I was like, ooh, how are they going to scramble around and explain this one? It's like, Uh, man, so bad. Yeah. And then Ryu came out to Super Smash Brothers and crashed the whole internet for three three whole days. Yep. Which, I mean... That's when I was like, I'm going to buy Smash Brothers because I want to see how Ryu works in a three-button fighter see how this works. So yeah, He works good. He works really good. Now, Cloud, really good. Cloud just destroyed the internet. Everybody was just like, what is this? Right. Final Fantasy VII, Cloud is in Smash. Oh, Nintendo Square. Y'all just got married or something. Y'all just yep. had a baby or something. I remember uh, I saw the... It wasn't technically a reveal, but it was. Uh, do you know who the completionist is? Uh, Gerard Khalil, I think is his yeah, name. I've heard of him. Yeah. So he he is what his name is. He just basically completes games. So he's an interesting character to watch on YouTube. He's he's funny. He's got a lot of friends. It's uh-huh. just it's very comical. Anyway, so he got invited by Nintendo um, to come and look at the reveal before it was revealed to the public. So there's a camera on him face on and he's looking at like a tiny little tv off into the corner and they're showing the 
um, the direct basically showing that cloud is going to be a new character in smash. And he like blows his mind. Like he's all over the place. It's, he's, the, he's that one guy who, you know, from school who just says the same thing over and over again, because they have no other way to explain what's going on. Cause yeah. it's so, it's just like, no way, no way. Like <laughs> over and over again. So it's like, I'm watching it and I'm laughing because it's comical. And it's like, oh, okay, so something interesting is coming with Smash. But, like, you start thinking, like, okay, well, I know this guy pretty well. At least I think I do from YouTube. You know, how much do you know somebody from YouTube? Um, but it's like, why would he flip his lid on something like this? It's only Smash Brothers. Like, what could the character be? So it's like, it was like this big, like, three or four day reign on his forum of, like, oh, could it be character A? Could it be character B? Like, why would Gerard's only act like this in a couple of other games? So it's got to be one of these characters, like, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it was, that made it more interesting to me. And, like, when I actually got to play his cloud, I was like, ah, eh, he's all right. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm still going to play as Diddy. Like, Diddy's my character, so I'm just nice. going to... Yeah, it, it was so. just a big thing, because it was just shocked that Square Enix would bring someone big as Cloud. Right. Smash. It's just like... Yeah, because it's like, why... I mean, what else has Square done in the past, Jesus, I don't know, 15 years? Where they were like, you know, nudging elbows with another developer, another publisher, just saying, hey, let's have some fun. Like, that's why, when I look at stuff like that, it's like, hey, let's have, a, let's have some fun. Let's do this. Why not? <laughs> You know, yeah. like, why not? you know, let's throw the lawyers out, throw the contracts out. Let's just do something wacky. Let's see what people do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's let's go back to Nintendo and actually make some money. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another Final Fantasy game. Uh-huh. Let, so. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? Final Fantasy 13 didn't sell, sell well, but Bravely Default shocked us and put us in the black. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But there is some beauty for PC, but the most beautiful thing of our of video games, of course, is arcades. Like yep. we, we were we rambled in the beginning about arcade. But Hunter, you told us a little bit about arcades and like your history. Um what what was so beautiful about arcades though? What gave you that feeling that this is a different world than PC or consoles. Like I, it was just something that I can't get in this arc. You know, I can't get this at home, but only in this arcade. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean that that's exactly what it was. Like it was like stepping into a different world. Um, there were games that I remember playing that I will never play again because they just don't exist anywhere else. And that's a very sad thing for me to say. Um, cause if anything about, that we talk about or on my podcast or on your podcast or write about or whatever it may be. It's all about, you know, wanting to expose this game, these games to as many people as possible because it does bring so much joy and happiness to them. And unfortunately there are on arcade games that just don't exist anywhere else except for our, on arcade games. Um, it, it was amazing to step into an arcade because one, they were usually super dark, which is always mysterious. Yeah. Um, lots of noise, uh, sound effects that were trying to draw you in bright screens. Um, but there was a certain quality that came to arcade games that you did not see on PC or console at the time. So that was like, that was the thing back in the day was when you play the game in arcade and you would immediately think, okay, like, what is this game going to be like on console? So obviously the first thing that comes to mind is Mortal Kombat. Playing Mortal Kombat in the arcade is unlike any other experience you would have playing that game. 
Like you have to stand there with the the cabinet with the the five buttons and the control stick with Johnny Cage on the side or, or Raiden, depending on which version you were playing. And that weird red and yellow cabinet, yeah. um, like slamming the high punch button because you didn't know that the characters had moves, you know, so you were just thought this was just a regular boxing game uh, for all intents and purposes. And it became one of those things when you would read it in EGM magazine or game pro that, that Microsoft or Microsoft that mortal Kombat was coming to console, both super NES and Genesis. It was like, Oh, well, which one do you buy? You know, like, because at that time, like those companies were making a point to make sure that the games that they would release were different. Um, you know, they needed a winner and they needed a loser when it came to releasing the same games on those consoles. And I, I put so much time into Mortal Kombat that um, I felt kind of cheated both ways, you know, like whether I played it on the, the, the Genesis or the Super NES, like I felt cheated because it's not the arcade experience. And I remember like th- thinking to myself that like, oh, I have to. I just have to say that this is okay. Like I have to lower my standards, which is the worst thing to do uh, for anything, you know? And there was always a weird correlation there because it was like, if you want a new and exciting and interesting gameplay, it only came from an arcade. Like you can't play hydro plane or hydro wave. Is it hydro wave? Hydro wave. Hydro thunder. Hydro thunder. You couldn't play Hydra Thunder sitting in your home because you wouldn't have the fan hitting you in the face when it got really cold and you wouldn't have like the, the, uh, the wheel because why would you buy a wheel for your console? You're only going to play it with a couple of games. And those things are like 60 bucks. That seems like a waste of time that, but I mean, 50 cents, I'll give you 50 cents every time. Um, it was an interesting time because you didn't, you weren't conformed to a controller. You weren't conformed to a D pad and four buttons. You could make whatever you wanted. You could make it a trackball. You could make it a, uh, a joystick with three buttons here and three buttons here. You could make it a six button fighter. You could make it a, a wheel with, you know, a gas and a pedal. Like I feel like a lot of it now is kind of like where indie games are at right now, where it's like, the world is your oyster. Like, do whatever you want. Like, you don't have to conform to an Xbox controller. You don't have to f- conform to a PlayStation com- controller. Or you don't have to conform to WASD. Like, you can basically do whatever you want, you know? Yeah. Um, providing you can get that draw in from the, the, the player. But um, there was multiple times where I would play a game in the arcade and then go home to either play its uh, previous title or that title on a console and just be let down you know because it just did not live up to what that expectation was um it was the epitome of co-op gaming i have never even to this day i have still yet to have as intense head-on combat in a game than i did standing at a cabinet with a complete stranger you know i have a third place trophy in ultimate mortal kombat 3 because i battled my way through 50 combatants to make it in third place right and in an arcade because that was just something you did back then you know like that meant a lot to me as a kid i was like 14 years old and i was like i'm gonna beat this 20 year old's ass watch me you know like you know cyrax who you know like that was my thing but Uh, those, I mean, with uh, the way that technology has advanced to a point where 
I mean, unless if you're creating this, uh, this authentic, um, experience with an arcade game, it's kind of a waste of time now, you know, like there's a, I'll call it an arcade, but it's not really. It's basically just like a family fun place to go. And there are yeah. video games there. So it's like, what video games do they have? Well, obviously they have the ones that are the most interactive. So there's DDR. Um, there's a multiple of uh, light gun games with like House of the Dead. There's a, a commando, like old school commando movie, but they built a new game for it. Like, yeah. you know, that there's the racing games, like there's the the uh, the motorcycle game that goes back and forth as you sit on it. Like those are the only arcades you can really play now and get that quote unquote arcade experience because they offer you something that you can't really get, you know, sitting on your couch. And a lot of that, I feel like, with a lot that I've said tonight really just goes back to the developer because they are presented with this problem of less people are going to the arcades because the technology is becoming home. What are we going to do? Nothing. And, and call and, it. And the thing about the arcade was that that power of the token meant something. When you go, to, if I could go to an arcade right now and actually play a beat em up game, that's not going to be on modern consoles. That's what I want to do. Right, because it's gonna, it's not gonna have not only have me connect with other players and stuff, but I don't want that game coming to consoles maybe two or three years down the line. But I want to be able to play with someone like you from Ohio or someone from Pennsylvania or or something like that, and we be able to bring our various skills to this one game. Yep, at that one particular time. Right, and you know. Yep friendships come out of there um it makes you want to better your skill and dude killer instinct was popular mm -hmm. we were just like well this game is about combos and flashy combos yeah. and there's nothing like it on the market exactly yeah, yeah. it was innovative yeah and you know neo geo you put 25 cent in you got four games to choose from yep and they told you how to play it at the beginning, which I always thought was neat. It was like, oh, this is what A, B, and C do? Oh, well, thank you, game. I know what I'm doing now. You like, know, I'm not just randomly hitting things. There was, like, Japanese arcade games that we knew nothing of. But yeah. if you were able to mix uh, Pac-Man with Pinball, the heck is that happening? And it works. You know, the arcade just offered something. And my mom, every, her, she would go shopping. And that dollar, that dollar was a lifesaver to me. I told oh, yeah. that's like that was my wife or something. You know, I would put it in, get my four tokens, and I had to make sure with every game that I played, I was going to get some enjoyment of. Uh, yeah. Or I, my goal was, let me see how farther I could get in. Because Kid Nikki, I would get to the yellow big head dude, and yep. I would lose my sword, but I, I would beat, it, beat him. Like, yes, I made progress. It didn't die five seconds into the second stage. Man, the game is so weird. Yes. So weird. Yes. But it was just, it was like games like that, or, or Turtles in Time, or even the regular Turtles arcade game. It was just like, this is providing me with enough fun. And these are coming from companies that I love, like Konami and Capcom were the big money makers in arcade. Yeah. And I'm playing Moonwalker from Sega. Yep. What the heck is this doing in? Okay, it's diagonal. Okay, someone give me some more tokens. Or someone it turns into a robot? Sold. Okay, yeah. You know, and 
even sh- even uh the ninja kids like Tatum was just making some weird sense. The ninja kids, a game where some kids are being sated in his minions. It's just like what the heck is this satanic thing? But it's fun. And right. that never came to consoles until they did a title collection. Yeah. You know, yeah, for like the PlayStation 2. Yeah. And then yep. for some people, you know, of course, Pizza Hut or, uh, like you said, Bowling Alleys. Bowling or alley. I played it. Wonder Boy in a laundromat once. Dude, I played the I original mean, Ninja Gaiden or Gaiden or whatever you want to say. That. I played Ninja Gaiden in a laundromat. Yep. Before, yep. Before you came to hack a slash room. And it was just like, you would sit down and watch that insert coin thing over and over. And it was just tempting you to be like, granddad, someone give me a quarter. I just need one more. I think that's the thing because it's like, I feel like we've kind of gotten away from that. Like, so all of those things are just like great stories. Like like this one off of like, oh, I remember when such and such. Like, I never had that kind of story like for playing uh, like Super Mario Kart 64 or... Uh, I don't have a story like that for playing like Smash Brothers Melee or I don't have a, do you know what I mean? Like those there's, but I've, I remember exactly what happened when I played Mortal Kombat three for the first time or when I played NBA jam for the first time, like all of like those stories, those incidents in your life, like they, like they stick with you, but like, I can't remember what happened when I played metal gear for the last time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that may not be something to do with like it being in an arcade or it be at me being at a certain age. Like I'm sure there's lots of people out there. They're like, Oh, I have this very specific story about metal gear, but I feel like that stuff is so fleeting nowadays. And a lot of it becomes this is like, we are so like people go on and on about like how expensive games are nowadays. And it's like, you have no idea. Like they should be, I bought super Mario world for $80 when it came out. Like there were $80 games back then. Yes. Like make no mistake. Like fantasy star four for the Sega Genesis. I got for 69 99 and that was on sale. Like the games have never been inexpensive as they are today. And, you know, like a $60 game, well, maybe what you're upset about is that what you're getting from that $60 game, not what you're paying for it. You know what I mean? Like the game should be a lot more expensive for the amount of time and effort and marketing and advertising they put into it. These development teams are going are ballooning from five to 15 developers to hundreds and hundreds of developers. And it's still $60. Like you're, th- this is a steal nowadays, but like the problem we don't have like those stories anymore from what we used to get in the arcade and uh, kind of to tie it back into indie games. Cause that's what I do. Um, one of the games that kind of came out that kind of had this big explosion is an arcade game called killer queen. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's uh-huh. a, so killer queen is um, uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to butcher this, but it's a single screen um, basically eight on eight uh, fighting game where it's like, it's kind of like, um, Oh, nuts. What's the name of that game where you, uh, you're riding the, the ostrich and you're stepping on Joust. people? Joust. It's like Joust, but it's like there's eight people at one time. 
And that's all that like, that's the stick of the game is it's like, we took this idea that's been done before and we just blew it to its maximum. But the problem is, is they're a small indie developer and they were like, we are making this game for an arcade and an arcade only experience. We only have enough money to throw it into three arcades in Chicago. There you go. We're done. Well, it blew up because people were having these types of stories. They were saying things like, oh, man, it was in my last quarter and it was me versus three other guys. And they, for whatever reason, they were on a team together and they were trying to take me out. And I was able to maneuver and swap and run around and I was able to take them all down and blah, blah, blah. And the, the queen bee didn't get her honey or whatever the other aspects of the game are like, like those stories suddenly like existed from these people who played this game and it blew up and Polygon and IGN started to cover it. It was like, Oh, there's this weird indie game. We don't know why it's a big deal. Like, okay, well you're not paying attention. Like it's because people are telling these stories. And I feel like from somebody who was able to live through the heyday of the arcade and to watch it burn into ashes, um, like that it's, there was something there again, it's a product of its time. Like the, there was something to, to know that if you were going to the arcade, that there were going to be games there that you were going to tell your friends at school about when you were at lunchtime, you know, like there were games there that could have been there one, one time. And then when you go back, they're gone and they're replaced by, like, I thought of that of arch rivals. Like I played arch rivals for the arcade once uh-huh. and then it disappeared for whatever reason, the arcade I went to, like they just got rid of it and they put something else there. And I thought that was it. Never play this game again. Not knowing that arch rivals is also on the NES, but I didn't know that because I was a kid. So I was like, oh, that's, just, I was like, I need to tell you about this game where you play basketball, but you can punch people in the face and it's okay. There's no, like the ref doesn't say anything and it's all good. Like, it's amazing. Like people didn't believe me, you know, like, yeah. so. And I think for a lot of us, <clears throat> and then this is the last point uh, before you give the eulogy. Um, I think a lot of us are jealous of Japan because they still got a vibrant arcade license in their scene, and we don't have that. I mean, we sometimes, you know, uh, me and Eric Bailey, we're close to uh, uh, not Bolingbrook. Oh, uh, Ghosts. Galloping Ghosts. Galloping Ghosts, yeah. You know, and you go in there and you just see all these arcade games, and like, I'm I'm playing The Simpsons. I'm playing Mortal Kombat 2, House of the Dead. I'm playing NFL Blitz and stuff. And I'm playing with friends. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is creating memories. And this is creating stories. And this makes me hype. Because mm-hmm. guess what? We're able to leave, go get something to eat. And our arcade experience is still with us because that's the topic of discussion. And my thing would be like, oh yeah, when we get back, NBA gym, pick whatever team you want. I got this. I know the code. And that's it. We don't yep. do that with console gaming or like, you know, I would love to take my nephew and I might, I may have to one day. I'm like, you only know Mario, but dude, you might want to play Ninja Turtles. You might want to play The Simpsons. You're not into comics. Let's, let's handle X-Men. Yep. Yeah, and, and you will see why beat 'em ups are important. Why the shoot 'em up genre, like uh, Gradius and uh, R types, like you'll see why those are important. Heck, if they got Salamander or uh, Parodius, I want to play that with you. So you can learn that this is where, for a lot of us, gaming started before we got into consoles and PC. Yep, so. absolutely. But now we're at the time because we're wrapping it up. Uh, Eric, before you give your plugs and stuff, or actually go ahead and plug, and then I'll let you give the eulogy. So go, Eric, oh. where can we find you? 
Sure. Uh, so all of my musings are on my website, ericmhunter.net. Um, any kind of like writing, podcast, videos, all of that stuff is going to show up there. Uh, my indie game, quote unquote, review site is iamericm.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Eric Hunter. Please tweet at me. I love talking to people. Um, and I actually respond and have conversations with people, other, other, you know, unlike other people. Um, that's pretty much it. You can email me, I guess, if you want to do that. It's Eric at iamericm.com. Uh, um, Twitch channel? Uh, Twitch is twitch.com slash Eric M. Hunter, I think. Oh, man. Let me look real quick. Should I look before? Okay. Uh, yes, it's twitch.tv slash Eric M. Hunter, uh, which I'm getting into doing more of now that I've realized that I can do things between twin or 10 and 1 uh-huh. um, because everybody's asleep. So it's like, ooh, what can Eric do? Uh, I uh, seen, so I seen uh, the indie Dark Soul game that you played. Uh, Unworthy, yeah. I think so, yeah. Because uh, you had like one sword and you would you kept dying over and over. I was just it was like, the worst. I was just like, how is he doing this? I would have cut this game off. Yeah, right. I, a lot of people said that actually, and they're like, why do you keep playing this? Because I was like, I feel like I could still win even though I've died a thousand times. There's I something was, there. There's I was something fascinated, there. and I, I think that's why I was typing, just like, oh, I think. Oh, he responded, and I just felt like it's it's good when I watch you play because I feel like I'm on the couch with you, and I'm just like, pass this controller to me. Yeah, get, <laughs> let, let me take over here. Let me take over for sure, for sure. So, um, you guys can actually find me also on Twitter at that retro code. Um, you can hear optional opinion on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast apps. Um, thank you guys for uh, actually reading the uh, optional opinion blog, the video video games, and turning it into our uh, our episodes, our podcast episodes. I will be doing a special episode. Uh, 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 special. I will be doing another episode for the video video games, just to kind of wrap everything uh, wrap everything up. But um, you can also email the show at myop2comment at yahoo.com and check out my Let's Learn series on Twitch at the Lyrical One where I play games and actually talk about that genre and that game and kind of teach people about it. Um, so, Eric, it has to be falling on to you. Please give us your eulogy of the video video games. Okay, so... We, we've talked a lot of bad stuff today uh, about video games and that just how poisonous the community can be and publishers and that. Um, one thing that I always go back to is um, the Legend of Zelda. So the original Legend of Zelda for the NES uh, taught me a lot of things about growing up and finding dreams and aspirations and goals. So if you go back and play the legend of Zelda, there's one very important thing that you realize is that you just end up where you are. Uh, you have no signposts of where to go. Uh, you have nobody there holding your hand or telling you what to do, but you decide that you want to start inviturating and you want to start discovering and learning and seeing new things. So I have lived my entire life based on that premise is that life is an adventure Video games are there to help you through good times and bad times. Um, games are there to teach you things. Games are there to uh, tell you stories, to entertain. Um, but ultimately, games are there to have fun with. Um, 
there's a lot of terrible things when it comes to this community, unfortunately, with things like Gamergate, uh, the amount of hate and misogyny and um, uh, xenophobia and all kinds of things that um, just come with people in society. But the important thing to remember is that there are people like me and Eddie here and we just love games and we love you for playing games and we want you to continue to play games and to have fun and know that we are there with open arms and hugs and back rubs, which is something that I really like. Um, and we want to make sure that you feel comfortable and safe and you have an open platform to talk, which is exactly what we are all about. So, um, as bad as things can get, uh, there's always a lot of good there. Uh, so keep playing games, never stop playing games and always have fun. And if you feel like you are in kind of a rut, uh, just imagine that you are Link in the Legend of Zelda. There is just another path to walk down to find something else that is beautiful. Boom. And with that, everybody, we will see you later. Oh, optional opinion. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, and thank you once again, uh, Eric. Uh, no, for a don't worry about it, man. Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Until next time, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>